Our reading this morning comes from the 13th chapter of Acts. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a member of the court of Herod, the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Miss Marlene. Well, once again, good morning, Ebenezer Church. Uh, my name is Rob Lau. I'm one of the pastors here. I did not introduce myself my first time up here. I apologize for that. Uh, but I, I'm so glad that you are here with us, whether you're present uh, with us in the space this morning or watching with us online. Today we are continuing our sermon series. It's entitled, Called. The idea behind this series is that all of us, all of us, all of us are called by God. And last week, we talked about that reality. And then we talked about how since all of us are called, it's also true all of us are gifted to fulfill our calls. So we looked at what some of our gifts were. And we did this by way of a gifts inventory. If you didn't have a chance to take that gifts inventory with us last week, there should be a copy of it in the back of the pew in front of you. If you can't find one, they'll grab one at the connection desk and online. Our moderator can help you get access to that. But my, my request of you is that you would take that document home, fill it out, and, and bring back uh, what it tells you about your spiritual gifts next week when we're going to move further in that regard. But today... We are picking up where we left off last week with our conversation partner in this series, the Apostle Paul. Last week, we saw him at uh, the town uh, on the way to Damascus with his great call experience. And before before we, we kind of pick that back up, I just want to remind us of, of where Paul's life had taken him up to this point. So if you look on the back of your bulletin, you're going to find a timeline and a map. I want to walk you through a little bit of this timeline. Paul was born around the year 5 A.D. in the town of Tarsus along the eastern Mediterranean. He lived there until he was 13, which means in the year 18 A.D., Paul moved down to Jerusalem to sit under the tutelage of a man by the name of Gamaliel. He was one of the most famous and renowned rabbis in the temple. Sitting under Gamaliel was tantamount to receiving a Harvard education in the Jewish law. He was very, very gifted, Paul was, in terms of the education that had been given to him. While Paul was in Jerusalem, the Jesus movement began, and Paul believed it was part of his task to start persecuting these Christians, which he did until the year 35 AD, whilst on a trip to Damascus. He is knocked off his donkey and blinded by the light. Uh, and uh, he, he gets himself up off of the road to Damascus there and has, has this kind of conversion call experience. And then what comes next, the next few years of Paul's life are not widely spoken about, but are incredibly important. Next thing that happens in Paul's life is he goes to the Arabian desert for about two and a half years. Paul just goes and wanders around the desert. Think about the history of the desert in our faith tradition. After the children of Israel were set free from their captivity in Egypt, they wandered around in the desert. When John the Baptist was called to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, he went to the desert. 
After Jesus was baptized and before he began his world-changing ministry, he went for 40 days where? Into the desert. That's right. I tell you this because Paul is following this, this example of going into the desert. And all of us are called. All of us are called. But after God calls us, God is going to spend some time preparing us. Some time preparing us for what comes next. God is going to spend some time in preparation. And oftentimes, that is going to be in a desert land. What do I mean by that? Uh, I mean that it's going to be a time in our lives when... There's going to be great transformation taking place in us, but we're not going to see a lot of fruit in the desert. You just don't see a lot of fruit in the desert. I've told you before about the fact that my whole life I thought I was called to be a pastor. But I graduated from high school, I went to college, and I encountered questions that were beyond my comprehension. I couldn't figure them out. I couldn't understand. It sent me into kind of a desert-like experience in my life. It was an incredibly important time for me. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad to have had the opportunity. I actually graduated from college. I wasn't ready to go to seminary yet. And so I went to the Air Force and guess where they sent me? To the desert. Yeah. Four different times I got to go. All expense paid trip uh, by Uncle Sam over, over to the desert. There's something amazing that happens in, in the desert, but it's not always an easy time. We don't see the fruit of our ministry and of God's work when we're in the desert because fruit doesn't grow easily in desert climes. Paul goes into the desert as part of his preparation, but that's not all. Around the year 38 AD, Paul comes back from the desert and he goes to Jerusalem. Now, do you remember what the last thing Paul did in Jerusalem was? He tried to kill Christians. So now here we are a couple of years later and Paul is roaming back in into Jerusalem. He's trying to buddy-buddy up to people in the pews of the local churches. Imagine how they must have felt about this. I'm guessing they weren't terribly happy about the fact that this dude was in their churches. The second thing that God had Paul do in terms of his preparation to answer his call is that God called Paul to reconcile to people. He sent Paul back to reconcile with the people in Jerusalem. And I think the same thing happens when God prepares us to answer our call too. God sends us to these places of reconciliation because it's it's really, really hard for me to go out and try and reconcile people to Jesus and to one another if I am not first reconciled to my God and to the people around us, right? And so the work of reconciliation was an important piece of Paul's preparation. It's an important piece of ours. So Paul has this wonderful call story full of sound and fury and immediately he goes off into the desert he goes then then to jerusalem to repair relationships and then things get crazy the great apostle paul author of half the books in the new testament god says to him paul i'd like you to go back to tarsus and live in your parents basement for 10 years what yeah oh i I don't actually know if he lived in their basement or not, right? But God did send him back to Tarsus for 10 years. This is the great apostle. Why would God send him back to Tarsus? Well, we can't know that for certain, but here's what we can imagine, that two things happened while he was sent home to live with his parents for 10 years. This guy who had the benefit of the equivalent of a Harvard education, I imagine that during those 10 years, Paul perfected two activities. One was waiting on God. And the other was humility. 
God can't change the world with people who aren't humble and God can't change the world with people who are unwilling to wait on God to move. And during those 10 years at his parents' home in Tarsus, Paul learned those skills over and over and over again. We rarely hear this part of Paul's story, but it's an incredibly important part. And here's why, because all of us are called. But before God can use us to change the world, God has to prepare us. And that is hard work. It's work that takes place in deserts. It's work that takes place in reconciliation. It's work that requires waiting and humility. God calls all of us. Some of us expect that we're going to get our call on Sunday night and start changing the world on Monday morning, and rarely does it ever happen that way. From the time the great apostle got his call until he goes on his first missionary journey, it's almost 15 years. God needed time to prepare him. And God needs time to prepare us too. So that's the first thing we learn about Paul's story. But then in in the year 48 to 49 AD, Paul and his friend Barnabas get a call from God. We heard Miss Marlene tell us that story today. The people in the church of Syria and Antioch send Paul and Barnabas out on their first missionary journey. And if you look up to the screen, you see the map there. They leave Syria and Antioch on the right side of the screen. They go down to the town of Seleucia, and there they get on a ship, and they go over to the island of Cyprus, where they spend about three weeks on the island of Cyprus, during which time they convert the governor of Cyprus to Christ. So, you know, not a bad start to your first missionary journey, amen? Right? Pretty That's not bad, right? Uh, But things go a little bit downhill from there. So they hop on another boat from Paphos, and they head up to Pamphylia, And then up to Galatia, which should sound familiar to us because after Paul's first missionary journey, he's going to come back to the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea and he's going to write a letter to the churches he's just founded in the region of Galatia. We still have it today. It's called what? Galatians. Absolutely. So Paul leaves Cyprus. He goes northwest to Pamphylia and up into Galatia. But while he is passing through the region of Perga there, he catches a disease called trachoma. It's a disease of the eyes. And this brings us to the second important piece we learn from the Apostle Paul about the institution of our own call stories. It would have been very easy for Paul, four weeks into his journey, to say, I've caught a disease, I've got to go home. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, I've got a disease, God help me on my way. And he continues north into the region of Galatia. The second lesson we learn from Paul's story that's important for our lives is a lesson of perseverance. Not only does Paul continue on in his missionary journey, eventually, uh, I'm going to skip a couple steps ahead here, but eventually he's going to get to this town called Iconium. You can see it on the map up there. He goes to Iconium and eventually he gets run out of Iconium by the people who are there. And and when he leaves Iconium, he he only leaves for a couple weeks. Then he comes back, visits it a second time. On his second missionary journey, he visits it again. On his third missionary journey, he visits it again. Why? Because God had called him to do work in Iconium, and Paul was not going to be deterred from doing that work. Paul had perseverance. I want to share with you a couple of scripture passages that illustrate something of Paul's story of perseverance in this first missionary journey. The first comes from Acts chapter 13, verses 50 through 52. The scripture is on the screen. The Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of their region, so they shook the dust off their feet. You heard that language before? Remember that? 
You remember when Jesus commissions his disciples to go out into the towns? And he says, if you go into a town and they receive you, let your peace rest on that town. But if they don't receive you, then shake the dust from your sandals and move on to the next town. As I see Paul and Barnabas enacting the call of Jesus on the lives of the disciples, it strikes me once again as, well, kind of mean. I, I, I thought about this a lot, and you know, the, this idea that shaking the dust from our sandals, what does that mean? And I've shared this with you one other time, but it, it bears revisiting since it's in this text. There are going to be times in our lives where God calls us to go to people. And they're not, they're not going to want to hear what we have to say. They're not going to want to receive the love that we give to them. And so I think that God's command is still extant to shake the dust from our sandals and move on. And what does that mean? What does it mean when we shake the dust from our sandals? Does it mean that Jesus' disciples and Barnabas and Paul and all of us, that we're condemning those people to hell? No. Shaking the dust from our sandals is very simply this. It's giving back to God what only God can do. When we shake the dust from our sandals, we're saying, God, I can't do this one. You're going to have to do it. Because I don't know about you, but I can't make anything out of dust. And I'm guessing you can't make anything out of dust. But God can make some amazing things out of dust. And if you've forgotten, go back and read Genesis chapter 2 and watch what God can do with dust. They shake the dust from their sandals. They move on. Look at the next line. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What? They, they'd just gotten run out of this town. Run out by what I, is in my head is like a lynch mob, right? They're coming for us. We got to go. They just gotten run out of this town. And how do they feel? Joyful? That doesn't seem appropriate to me. Here's the distinction. I want to make a distinction today between happiness and joy. Happiness is a biological response to external stimuli. I've got this glorious bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich here. I am happy, right? That's happiness. Joy is different. Joy is not a function or response of external stimuli. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is the kind of thing that we experience, a deep peace within our souls when we experience it, and we only experience it when we are in the center of God's purpose, of God's call for our lives. So all of hell could be erupting around us, and yet we could be filled with joy. Why? Because we are answering God's call on our lives. And Paul and Barnabas had that experience. It required perseverance, but the fruit of their perseverance was joy. Uh, so they leave this town of Antioch and they go to a town called Lystra, where Paul heals a guy. And the people of the town of Lystra are so excited by Paul having healed this guy that they actually start to worship Paul. And in Acts chapter 14, we see Paul's response when these people start to try and worship him. He says, friends, why are you doing this? We're mortals just like you. We bring you good news that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and the seas and everything that's in them. Those, that, that language, I, turn from those worthless things. In the Greek, the, the word worthless, it literally means empty. Those things that are empty. All of us are called by God. All of us are called by God. All of us are called by God. And our gifts are different and our calls may be different. But there is one, at least one, unifying call to all Christians. Jesus gives it to us in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18b through 20. 
when Jesus stands up and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. I am the king of all creation. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. All Christians, all Christians, all Christians are called to be part of the disciple-making process. What does that mean? It very simply means that we help people go from living empty lives to living lives that are full. And God has given all of us the opportunity to answer that call to help folks go from living empty lives to lives that are full. So there were some times on Paul's missionary journey when he had good days. People came and tried to worship him and give him gifts. There were times he had bad days, but I want to give you an example of, well, what I imagine was one of Paul's worst days by looking later in chapter 14. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium to this town called Lystra, and they went over the crowds, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Just stop here for a second. Have any of you ever seen the movie The Princess Bride? It is my wife's favorite movie. And there's a scene at Miracle Max's house where they bring Wesley in, the hero guy, and they try to determine whether he is dead or only mostly dead. Do you remember that scene? There is some debate amongst theologians whether or not Paul was dead or mostly dead in this passage, right? But he has been stoned by people. It was a horrific act, and they brought his body out. They carried his body out of the city. They left it there for the carrion to eat. But then, then the people of God gathered around Paul. And look at that next line. When the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went into the city. There are a couple things that are amazing. We're going to talk about why he got up and how he got up in just a second. But it's really the second piece that truly amazes me. Paul got up and where did he go? Back in the city. What? These people had just thrown stones at him to the point that they thought he was dead. What do we learn? Well, we learned that Paul had some good days and he had some bad days. And he had some really bad days when people threw rocks at him and hoped that he would die. But it didn't matter what kind of day Paul was having or what kind of circumstance he was in. If God's call in his life was to be in that city, he was going to be in that city. There's a word for it. It's called perseverance. The apostle Paul was covered up in perseverance for the gospel. God prepared him. God gave him the grace to persevere in difficult moments. And this brings us to our third piece here. Would you look, once again, so he got up and he went into the city. Paul didn't heal the guy in Lystra, God did. Paul didn't heal himself here outside of Lystra, God did. Potentially, Paul was resurrected here. It's possible that he really was dead and God brought him back from the dead. But even so, Paul is not the one who did that great work. God is the one who did that great work. The third and maybe the most important lesson for us to learn from the story of Paul's first missionary journey is the absolute necessity of the power of God in our lives. And if we want to change this world, it's got to be based on God's power. It's got to be. And it's worth noting that the same power which existed in in Paul all those years ago lives in you and me. And every believer who's professed Christ, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. The same power. But you've heard that before. So let me nuance this a little bit differently. Because we can choose to believe that power is in us or we can choose not to believe that's a personal decision. 
I want to show you one more passage of scriptures that, scripture that I hope will bring this home. After they proclaimed the good news to the city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and then to Iconium and Antioch. And there they strengthened the souls of the disciples and they encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying, it is through many persecutions that we must enter the kingdom of God. And after that, they appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting. They entrusted them to the Lord in whom they had come to believe. Here's what I find so fascinating. It wasn't just that Paul knew that God's power was in him. Paul went with Barnabas and by the power of the Holy Spirit, they they created these churches. And then they commissioned people to lead those churches. Paul's ministry is marked by an absolute conviction that God's power was not simply available to Paul, but that God's power was available to everyone who believed in Christ. The potential for God's power was available to everyone. Said differently, Paul was absolutely owned by the sense that God had the power to take every ordinary life and transform it into something that was extraordinary. It's a hallmark of his ministry that he trusts that the power of God can be at work in ordinary people helping them to do extraordinary things, can transform empty lives into lives that are full. And the question for us is, will we be convinced of the same potential for everyone with whom we come into contact each day has the potential to be connected to the power of God that takes their lives from empty to full and ordinary to extraordinary? Paul concludes his work. He heads back to the eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea and writes the book of Galatians. And that concludes the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. We learn three things, at least three things. Having noted that all of us are called, we learn that God must spend time preparing us for that call, which likely means we're going to spend some time in a desert Spend some time seeking reconciliation with the people around us. Spend some time waiting on God and some time experiencing the gift of humility. Second thing we learn is that by the grace of God, we need perseverance. Whether life was good or bad, whether days were easy or hard, Paul persevered. And the byproduct of that perseverance was joy. Thirdly, We learn not only that God's power was extant in Paul, but it's present in all of us and even something more. That the potential for God's power to take an empty life and turn it into a full one, an ordinary life, and turn it into an extraordinary life, that potential is available to every single human being with whom we come into contact each day of our lives. If, if, we will be the messenger of God's power. That's where we conclude today. I hope you'll join us next week as we discuss Paul's second missionary journey. And please make sure to bring the results of your spiritual gift survey with you next Sunday. Until then, would you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks for the story of Paul and for the way that we come to understand our own story in relationship to him. We thank you that you've called all of us just like you called him, that you spend time preparing us. Desert moments, moments of reconciliation, of waiting in humility. We know, O God, that when you call us finally to go, that completing your great work will require perseverance. 
but that the byproduct of our perseverance will be joy. And finally, O oh God, we recognize that your power is available not only in our lives, but in the lives of everyone with whom we interact each day. We ask, O oh God, that you would help us be messengers of that great power that takes the ordinary and turns it into something extraordinary. Thank you for my brothers and sisters and the ways that we are already living out our call. Help us to continue to take the next step that we might bring you glory with every day of our lives. In the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.